Welcome to Exposed, an exclusive look behind the curtain of corporate greed with the Warnings Doctor, Dr. Jerry Goldhaber. Learn about what every consumer desperately needs to know in order to avoid serious injury and even death. You'll hear about ways in which consumers, government regulators, and corporations must interact to keep you and your loved one safe. This is Dr. Jerry Goldhaber, the host of Exposed, an exclusive look behind the curtain of corporate greed. Today, we're going to be talking with Mike Jacobson about food nutrition, a topic near and dear to my heart. I've written about it in my book, Murder Incorporated. I've talked about it in speeches. I've consulted with the FDA many times on what food nutrition should look like and be like. And if you care about your bodies, if you care about your health, you're in for a treat today as I bring on my powerful guest from Washington, D.C., Mike Jacobson. Now for another great interview on Exposed with the Warnings Doctor, Dr. Jerry Goldhaber. My guest today on Exposed is Mike Jacobson. I've known Mike for decades, and he was the founder of the Center of Science in Public Interest. And I first heard about Mike Jacobson and the Center. This is a true story. In 1993 or four. The Center for Science and Public Interest issued a press release that got my attention, which called Fettuccine Alfredo a heart attack on a plate. Now, the reason it got my attention, uh, my, my wife Marilyn never let me in the kitchen except once a month or two months. And the only thing I ever learned to cook was Caesar salad and Fettuccine Alfredo. <laughs> and after reading that press release, I was devastated, and I immediately uh, started to pay attention to what the Center for Science and Public Interest and what Mike Jacobson had to say about food and nutrition. And we even went so far in the Goldhaber household as to write to you, offered a free chart, a food chart at the time, and we've had it in our kitchen ever since. And I remember the most important thing I let on that, it ranked foods as from good to bad, and number one on the list, do you remember what that was? <laughs> Mike Jacobson. Uh, probably watermelon or, or spinach. Yeah, exactly. It was, actually, it was cantaloupe and watermelon were right up there, and it was fantastic. So we immediately started buying all those melons rich in fiber, low in sugar, and so on. Well, that's what we're here not to talk about is the food chart, but I would like to talk about with Mike Jacobson, who was the founder of the Center for Science in Public Interest, one of the country's most important consumer advocacy groups. And if you care about your body, if you care about nutrition, then you care about what Mike Jacobson has to say. His new book that came out October is called Salt Wars, Salt Wars, or from Boston, we say Salt Wars. <laughs> Mike, can you tell us a little bit about why you wrote Salt Wars and what you're trying to say to the American public? Uh, I've been working on nutrition since the early 1970s, for more than 40 years. And I've been astonished that while excess salt in the diet is the biggest killer, up to 100,000 premature deaths every year. I've been astonished that the government has done so little 
to reduce sodium levels in the food supply. And salt is the major source of sodium. So, you know, we fought with the Food and Drug Administration for decades, got them to put nutrition labels on food packages. They've threatened occasionally to, re to restrict sodium levels in the food supply, but then they ended up with voluntary recommendations. While excess sodium is killing tens of thousands of people via heart attacks and strokes every year. So, you know, I've tried everything else. I thought it'd be time to write a book about salt and just lay out the controversies, discuss the battles that are going on in the scientific community and in the, the halls of Congress, in the halls of the Food and Drug Administration. Salt Wars is the product of that uh, investigation. Well, Mike, uh, you say there's some battles among doctors in your book, and I've been reading it very extensively because I was concerned. My doctor always told me uh, the salt should be cut down in my diet because it could lead to an exacerbation of my blood pressure, which then could have effects on my heart ultimately. So I've taken his advice and cut out a lot of the salt. But according in your book, there are a lot of doctors, the salt industry, if, if you will, uh, have hired doctors, I think, and have, have put studies out that contradict what my own doctor has said. How do they get away with that? Well, beginning, the research on salt began over 100 years ago. And the researchers back then found links between high sodium and increased blood pressure. And that research built up over the entire uh, 20th century. But then towards the end of the 20th century, beginning in the 1990s, a smattering of research found that very low sodium levels increase the risk of heart disease. The very high levels or very low levels increase the risk of heart disease. Those studies were horribly flawed. The American Heart Association, the World Health Organization, and others pointed out just uh, these uh, disqualifying flaws and dismissed them. But the food industry took them up, a few members of Congress took them up, and really stymied progress on the sodium issue uh, for the last 30 years or so. And that is the scientific controversy. Do low sodium levels increase the risk of heart disease or decrease them? And in the last few years, the, those studies have been totally debunked. There's new experimental evidence showing how they're wrong because they measured, they, they did not measure sodium intake accurately. And if, obviously, if you're linking sodium intake to heart disease, you got to measure sodium intake accurately, and they didn't. The, um, and then last year, 2019, the National Academy of Sciences dismissed those studies and just said they're inherently flawed, forget about them. And I'm hoping that that ends the scientific controversy over whether we should reduce sodium levels uh, significantly. And it's worth knowing, noting that we don't have to get rid of all salt. There's no way to get rid of all sodium from our diets. We need some sodium. But 
three-fourths of the sodium comes from added sodium. The, the, the salt and monosodium glutamate and other food additives that food manufacturers and restaurants add to the food. We can't take it out. We're stuck with it if we buy those processed and prepared foods. So now I think the, the, the real battle is shifting from the scientific battlefield to the political battlefield. And the Food and Drug Administration has, uh, during Obama's administration, came along and proposed voluntary guidelines on how much salt different foods should contain. So cheeses should contain no more than this amount, ham no more than this amount, uh, french fries no more than that amount. And so um, and then those were proposed voluntary recommendations that came out in 2016. The Trump administration did nothing to finalize those proposed guidelines. So the last four and a half years, nothing has been done. And sodium levels in the food supply have probably stayed about, about the same as they were four years ago or, or 40 years ago. So the, the challenge is to get at least the voluntary guidelines put in place. And if those fail to reduce sodium in the food supply, then that sets the stage for mandatory limits, which the food industry will challenge. They'll go to court, they'll complain from morning till night about how arbitrary the Food and Drug Administration was in setting those. But we're talking about as many as 100,000 premature deaths every year. Not as bad as coronavirus, but hopefully coronavirus will be solved with vaccinations. The, uh, but with salt, year in and year out, tens of thousands of premature deaths. So in the absence of action by the government and action by industry, the consumers are on their own and we have to lower sodium levels in our own, in our own diets. So how do we do that? You keep mentioning the average recommended dose of sugar, I guess, the average recommended amount. Uh, what is that, and how do I, as a consumer, uh, get a handle on interpreting that? Is it, how do I measure that? How much, average, how much is the average daily uh, recommended amount, if, if you will? And I know everybody's different, and everybody's got different blood pressures and so on, but yeah, we can only talk about averages, I guess. Yeah, on average. And you, you mentioned sugar, but I think you meant you meant sodium. So sodium. I got sugar in my mind because it's the same evil uh, product, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Let's go back to salt. The the recommendation is to consume under twenty three hundred milligrams of sodium per day. You know, as a national average. We are consuming about fifty percent more than that. 3,400 milligrams per day. So our goal should be to get from 3,400 down to 2,300. And we could do it on our own. We, could, we ought to be reading labels more carefully. We should be cooking more from scratch where we control the sodium that goes into our foods. And we need to cut down on restaurant foods because practically every restaurant meal is loaded 
with sodium. So those are really the three, three, three rules that could get us from 3,400 to 2,300 and maybe below. So cook our own food, avoid restaurants, but, and, 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 and the processed foods that we buy. But I have a question, 2,300, what does that mean? I don't speak metric. And by the way, 95% of America doesn't understand what you just said. Only 5% have paid attention when they were given that class on the metric system. So unfortunately, this is where we are. So what does that mean? 2,300 milligrams of sodium is about one teaspoon of salt per day. One teaspoon. But when it's a portion, you know, once it gets into foods, you don't see teaspoons anymore. Yeah. You have to read labels and look for how many milligrams does it have. And, and I have a couple of, of bits of advice. One is to compare labels. So if you're in the salad dressing aisle and your favorite salad dressing has, say, 300 milligrams, 400 milligrams per serving, and with salad dressings, two tablespoons is, is the official serving size, you, have to, you can easily find salad dressings with under 300 or under 200 milligrams per serving. So read labels carefully. The switching from American cheese to Swiss cheese, very simple switch. That can knock out 75% of the sodium from the, from the cheese that, that you're eating. So, so, so read labels. And then something else, if you wanna be more sophisticated about, about this, about how much sodium you should consume. I have, a, I have in my book, Salt Wars, a table showing how many calories people should consume. Men, women, old people, young people. And so a typical calorie intake might be 2,200 calories per day. That means that person should also have under 2,200 milligrams of sodium per day. So one milligram of sodium per calorie. If you consume 1,800 calories per day, try to have no more than 1,800 milligrams of sodium. And then to know if you got it, yeah, you have to add up sodium from the different foods you're consuming. And I dare say that one in a thousand people is going to do that. So the average person needs to cook more from scratch, read labels carefully and go for the lower sodium foods, maybe knock out the highest sodium foods entirely or eat them much less often. And then at restaurants, it's almost hopeless that most restaurants don't have any idea how much sodium there is. Fast food restaurants and other chain restaurants do. They publish brochures, the information is on the internet, but nobody's gonna pull off the side of the road and look up on their, their smartphone, McDonald's, to see how much sodium different foods have. So uh, restaurants, we need to cut down on restaurant eating. Especially when the kids are screaming in the back seat, they want their chicken McNugget. Uh, the, your, your point about restaurants is uh, fantastic. One of the advantages, and I hate to say this, during a coronavirus uh, epidemic, and there, there's absolutely nothing 
about this pandemic that that's that's exciting. But one thing personally, being stuck at home a lot, I've done a lot of cooking myself that I hadn't done before. Instead of relying on takeout and delivery and eating in restaurants and meeting clients, I have cut out restaurants, mostly because in New York City, they haven't had them open. And now they're open outdoors with and indoor with minimum, but very few people are eating inside. It's mostly outside. I've stopped eating in restaurants and started doing my own cooking. And as a result, I, I was struck by what you just said. I control the Whole Foods. I'm not giving a plug to the store, but I, I'm using Whole Foods, natural lentils and quinoa and all these grains and things. And I don't add any salt. I don't have a salt shaker. And so I, I just assume that I'll get whatever I need as a minimum. I'm 76, so I've made it this far uh, with, with just using Whole Foods. I don't think I'm going to run back to restaurants that quickly. And I was telling my kids that, and I don't think they are, because nothing good can come from eating in a The restaurant industry is going to kill us, but, but nothing good will come from eating foods that I haven't prepared that I don't have a clue as to what they put into it. And when you just said was, they don't have a clue. So between the two of us, nobody has a clue. Uh, this yeah, can get... You know, a lot of people are going to go back to eating at restaurants because you get variety. It's interesting tastes. A big thing about restaurant meals is that table service restaurants serve huge portions. And if you go to a restaurant, the chances are you'll eat a lot more food than you would at home. So, you know, if you're going to go to restaurants, one thing would be to, the food is served, set aside half the food, and ask the wait the server to put it in a doggy bag and take it home with you for another day, or share it with your family. That's is what right. I've been doing. We we all get together and we share four of us, so we have two meals. Your your book, you pointed out some very scary uh, statistics, if you will, regarding the amount of salt or sodium rather in uh, certain foods that are available in some of these fast food restaurants like Red Lobster, uh, one of my favorites, the Cheesecake Factory. And uh, but what got my attention, this one knocked me out of my, I'm serious, this knocked me out of my chair. Uh, back in the day when we used to go to movies and before AMC, I, I don't think they're in bankruptcy yet, but they may be. Uh, one of my favorites, I'm not anymore after reading your book, you mentioned the, this legend Bavarian soft pretzel. I had that, not a lot, but I've had it a few times. I was stunned. 7,000, 7,600 milligrams of sodium. You said in the book, three and a half days of salt in one movie <laughs> snack. My goodness. And can you point out some of these things that we just may not be aware of? You mentioned in your book. So I was very interested in, in that. That one got my attention, quite frankly. Uh, well, I'm, I'm surprised you're still alive, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I am too. <laughs> I've got a good will. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, it's, not, it's not so much at fast food restaurants. It, it's more table service restaurants that these foods are so high in sodium because the portions are enormous. So the, at the top of our list, uh, we have chilies the chain chilies, their ultimate smokehouse combo, which has uh, barbecue chicken, 
crisper, chipotle crispers with ranch and dry rub rib. So it's kind of three different kinds of meat. Sounds, sounds great. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Here you are. 8,000 milligrams. Of oh, sugar. my God. You just that's killed my appetite. <laughs> that's at the top of our list. So, again, three and a half days worth of sodium. Wow. But, you know, if you go down, um, you can find some of these high food, uh, high sodium meals at some fast food restaurants. So, um, the KFC, their popcorn chicken nuggets, a large serving, has almost 1,900 milligrams of sodium. So that's wow. that's almost a whole day's worth. So um, it's just uh, it's just incredible. And I've talked to some people in the food industry who, when they've reanalyzed their foods, and I'm thinking of Conagra in particular. They make Hebrew National, Chef Boyardee, and a thousand other brands. They discovered that they were adding unnecessarily large amounts of salt to many of their foods. And they found that they could reduce sodium, they could, they could use less salt, and people couldn't taste the difference. Because that extra, you know, your tongue can only tolerate so much sodium. And if you add more salt, you don't detect more saltiness. It's totally unnecessary. So a lot of companies could reduce sodium without having any effect on taste and help protect our lives. One of my pet peeves against ConAgra and other food companies is the way they market their foods. And uh, for example, they use the phrase savory. When I say they, I'm talking about a lot of companies talk about savory foods. And that's a buzzword immediately that says salty foods. And they compare it to sugar and they'll say sweet and savory. What you're getting is a double whammy. So, so if you get some of these protein bars that I've been looking at, as uh, salty and savory, uh, salty and sugary. If we have yeah. a couple minutes left, Mike, I'd just like to switch gears for a minute. You and I both share an interest in the sugar industry. And uh, I'd like to talk for a second about uh, what the FDA, uh, it took years, as you know, you were involved in this. Uh, it took years and years for the FDA to finally get rid of that uh, litany of 50 or 60 confusing phrases where they actually allowed the food industry to hide the presence of sugar in the food. You know, we know what we're talking about, you know, high fructose corn syrup or evaporated cane juice and, and, and mannose, whatever that is. I, that was one of my favorites. But at any rate, now it's down to two words, added sugar. But still, we have an obesity crisis in the United States. And you've talked about this many times and written about it, particularly with school kids. And I, I think the Trump administration uh, delayed and delayed even implementing the added sugar rule from the nutrition label. The Trump administration has delay, had delayed the implementation of the FDA's shift in the nutritional label where they added added sugar. It's finally been being implemented. I guess it's phased in. Is that correct? That's, that's right. It, it, was, it was phased in. There was uh, some delay, but at least it's on labels now. You could see how much added sugars are in the food. And there's a recommended daily limit. So on food labels, it shows a percentage of the daily limit. A big difference between salt and sugar is that sodium from salt and other additives 
is sprinkled throughout the food supply. It's present in half of all foods. With, and, and so you can't cut out just one food and greatly reduce your sodium intake. But with sugar, Americans get half of their added sugars from drinks, mostly soda pop, but also sweet drinks at, at, a, at a coffee shop um, and uh, fruit drinks. But so if you just watch, if avoid sugar drinks, you can get rid of half of your sugar intake on average. So yeah, I would point out, go ahead. That's a, that's a big difference between salt and sugar. In theory, Fair. sugar is easier to get rid of. And, you know, since you are one of America's experts on warning labels, and I'm sure you're aware of what some other governments have done with food labels. Um, it started in Chile and spread to Mexico, Uruguay, Israel, um, and one or two other countries. And what they did is said, food should not contain more than this amount of sugar, this amount of sodium, this number of calories, this amount of saturated fat, the biggest problems in the food supply. And they said to companies, if your food contains more than those amounts of those nutrients, you have to put a warning notice, a stop sign, saying high in sugar, or high in sodium on the fronts of labels. And if your food contains excessive amounts of two or three of those nutrients, you have to have two or three stop signs on the front of the label. And that is very powerful. That spurred many, many companies to immediately reduce their, their food's content of sugar, fat, salt, and so on. Uh, to come below those thresholds and avoid the warning notices. That's something I wish the Food and Drug Administration would copy here in the United States. I don't think it's likely. Uh, it's going to take 10 or 20 years to get, to get that kind of powerful labeling. But warning notices can have a big impact. And it's not forcing companies to lower the sugar or the sodium, but gives them a strong incentive to do so. I even went to the FDA and I've been, I've written them three times and spoken to them twice more, asking them to put the label on, uh, even just for sugar, if it was above a certain amount of sugar, I wanted even a stronger one than the stop sign that I saw in Mexico. I wanted it to say, danger, this product has an excessive amount of sugar that will be hazardous to your health. Of course, they uh, said, we'll take that into consideration. Maybe Stephen Hahn isn't the right guy for the FDA. We'll see who Joe Biden puts into the FDA. Uh, he's, brought, he's brought back Kessler. David Kessler is on his advisory board for coronavirus. I don't know if that means he's going to bring Kessler back. Uh, that would be interesting to see. One of my pet peeves with the FDA over the years has been the revolving door, as you know darn well. I've worked with POGO, Project on Government Oversight, and we calculated two-thirds of all regulators came or went to the industry they're supposed to regulate. I mean, Gottlieb, for example, is currently on the board of Pfizer, and he's regularly appearing on uh, MSNBC, where I've done commentary too. But he's a um, uh, former commissioner of the FDA, came from the industry. So it'd be another topic for another day. 
Mike Jacobson, the founder of the Center for Science and Public Interest, the author of the new book, Salt Wars, which is a must read if you care about your body, if you care about nutrition, if you care about your health and the health of your loved ones, you have to read Salt Wars. It's one of the best reads I've had this year, and it's an important read. Thank you, Mike Jacobson, for your appearance today. I appreciate it very much. Nice to Thank have you. you so here. Much. Thank you so much, Jerry. Pleasure to be on your show and a real privilege. You're the best. And stay with it, Mike. Stay safe, you and your family. You take care. And once again, what a wonderful guest Mike Jacobson is and his book, Salt Wars. Must read, must read while you're at home. And we were talking about nutrition and food. And in my new book, Murder, Inc., How Unregulated Industry Kills or Injures Thousands of Americans Every Year and What You Can Do About It, in the book, I have a whole chapter on food, and I do talk about sugar and salt and everything in between. One food product that I wanted to bring to your attention today is powdered infant formula. If you're a mother or an expecting mother, a grandmother who's concerned about your daughter's uh, feeding of your soon-to-be or current infant, you want to listen to this. Powdered infant formula made by uh, Similac and, uh, you know, other brands, Nestle's and Enfamil. You know what I'm talking about. You take the powder, you add some water, you heat it up, and you feed your infant. What could possibly go wrong? Well, the warnings doctor is here to tell you a lot about what can go wrong. Let me read you a section from my book, and then we'll talk about it. Hidden behind the typically warm and cuddly images on the front labels of various powdered infant formulas may lurk the rare but possibly deadly bacterium Chronobacter, which can cause severe brain damage or spinal meningitis in infants under 30 days old. There are no warnings about the risk, because the manufacturers have said that, among other reasons, the risk is too low, which is about 100,000 to one. I testified in two different trials that the danger, and more particularly, the catastrophic nature of the consequences of exposure to this bacterium are so severe that the severity of the potential danger should, in all reason, trump any argument suggesting that the risk or likelihood of exposure is too remotely low to bother warning consumers about it. Now, listen, as a nation and as the warnings doctor, we have an obligation to warn people about hidden hazards. The hidden hazard of Chronobacter is serious, it's real, and the industry had not even warned that, you, that the products, powdered formula, weren't sterile until they were forced to do it by the World Health Organization. So now buried inside their small print, it'll say that the product isn't sterile. Well, that doesn't mean anything. When you know you might have a deadly bacteria in there that could render your baby brain dead, it's time to put a serious warning on powdered infant formula. And that's what the warnings doctor has to say. If you found this interesting, please go to my book, Murder Incorporated, How Unregulated Industry Kills or Injures Thousands of Americans Every Year and What You Can Do About It. 
You can find this book on Amazon or anywhere you buy your books. And uh, it's, by the way, some good news. If you're interested in Kindle or softback or hardback, that's out there. And just in time for the holidays, the audio book will be available, recorded by none other than my son, Marcus Goldhaber, well-known jazz vocalist, and it's a doozer of a recording. And he's supported by Shireen Babb, who is an award-winning actress. And uh, you'll find her and Marcus do a terrific job on the audiobook version. And I've been getting into audiobooks myself these days, so I think you'll find that quite interesting. And it's making for a great holiday gift, the uh, book. And uh, if you liked what you heard today on Exposed, an exclusive look behind the curtain of corporate greed, then I want you to pay attention also to my YouTube channel, Jerry on YouTube, jerryonyoutube.com, and you'll find more uh, topics about safety and your health. Because my friends, I want you as the warnings doctor to remember that the more informed you are, the safer you'll be. Thank you for listening to Exposed, an exclusive look behind the curtain of corporate greed with The Warnings Doctor, Dr. Jerry Goldhaber. Our podcast is where you can always find a new prescription to keep you safe in an ever-evolving and sometimes dangerous world. Remember, the more informed you are, the safer you will be.